and welcome to The Sweet Spot on a Farm, episode 45. If you just randomly tuned in and have no idea what this podcast is about, then let me tell you that The Sweet Spot is all about natural health. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals and anyone whose business and life's mission it is to help us support our health. We cover topics like organic farming, herbalism, fitness training, natural therapies, and we also talk about healthy eating and food and share plant-based nutritious recipes that support and nourish our body. Today we will talk about nutrition with an absolutely lovely and incredibly experienced and knowledgeable professional in the field who has been featured on local TV and radio in the Irish News and Belfast Telegraph, a nutritionist and owner at Vital Nutrition, Jane McLenahan. Hello, Jane. Hello. I'm good. It's lovely to be on your podcast. Welcome to the sweet spot. Thank you. <laughs> Before we delve into the various topics of health and nutrition, um, I need to ask you a little personal question. Okay. Um, what made you want to be a nutritionist? Well, it's a very long story. <laughs> I think my family, were, well, my grandparents were farmers and we were always brought up, for example, you know, we would like as kids go down the field and pick our own spuds. And um, and it was we were very much, uh, my grandparents grew all their own vegetables and we were very much in, connected to the earth and connected to soil and the importance of good food. And I think that kind of is ingrained in me. But when I was in secondary school, my, my absolute favourite topic, my favourite subject was home economics and, because it was all about nutrition and how food can make people feel healthy and, and become kind of the best version of themselves, I suppose. Um, so I remember when I was 11, just it was almost like the spark, just feeling like it was the first time that I really heard somebody talking about nutrition in that way, that it had the potential to... I think we were talking about heart health or something like that. And I just remember thinking, this is pretty amazing that food can do this. So I've always had a real interest and a real passion about good food and about the power that it has on the human body. You know, it's got so much potential, doesn't it? It does. And, but it's like, that's quite young to be exposed to that kind of thing. Yeah. No, there's nothing I know. wrong with it. On the contrary, it's absolutely amazing. It's really young. And I think that... Partly it's also, like, like I'm not saying that I was really necessarily really healthy age 11, but I was just really fascinated about it. And I remember coming off the school bus and um, going into my mum and saying, we cannot eat flora anymore. This is, no, sorry, we cannot eat butter anymore. We've got to stop because it's saturated fat. It is so bad for us. We must eat flora. And she started buying flora. Then. And now, of course, oh I'm going, boy. don't eat flora, get back to butter. <laughs> but it was that kind of thing. It was just the real fascination that food was that powerful. And at, I just remember the first year, I was in the first year in Limavady Grammar and just thinking, this is incredible. Why did I not know this? I'm 11. Why did I not know it? <laughs> God, I wish I knew that when I was 11. <laughs> um... So were you kind of inclined towards that sort of profession since then? Yeah, absolutely. So I left, so I chose all my GCSEs and my A-levels. So I chose um, biology and chemistry and home economics at A-level because I really wanted to work in nutrition. So it's just something I've always, I don't really even think about it very much. It's just always been part of me, you know. And um, But I spoke to my careers advisor and being a grammar school, it was all about 
you know you should get into you can go to and work in a bank or you can go and um work in medicine or you can become a vet or you can work in law and none of those things a interest me and b i didn't have the grades to do a lot of those things so my um when i went and spoke to my careers advisor he said well you know i think maybe um i was talking about uh, nutrition courses and he said no i don't think so because you won't get a job in that so why don't you do food science? And at the time, I remember being so angry with him because I just thought, I do know what I want to do. And it's not food science. And then I, you know, so, but, you know, being, what was I then, 17, I thought, well, obviously, he probably knows better than I do. So I did go and do food science. And actually, it was the best thing I've done because I've got a really strong science background. And also because I met this woman called Dr. Anne Walker when I was doing food science at Reading, who I am still in touch with. She was my nutrition lecturer. And she was the very first person who told me about nutritional therapy. I had never heard of nutritional therapy before. It wasn't really a thing. That was in the early 90s. It wasn't really a common um, modality. And I remember when I finished my degree course, saying to her in the third year, I really want to you know, really kind of hone in on the nutrition so much more than the food science. And I was, at that stage, I was going to do a master's in nutrition. And she said, well, maybe think about nutritional therapy. Here's where you should go. And at that time, the only place really that was running it was ION, the Institute for Optimum Nutrition in London. And I went to this open day and I just went, this is it. This, I've got to do this. Because it was everything that I, it was just like a gut instinct about this will marry up my science, my love of nutrition, and also what I really wanted to do with nutrition is help people. I didn't want to go and work in a lab and analyse how much sugar was in something or how much saturated fat was in it. I did have a job doing that, by the way, but I didn't want to do that. I did it for a year, that was enough. Um, and but, but to me, it was much more about this makes sense. It's about using nutrition to help support people's health, to help not just in terms of prevention of all those conditions that are unfortunately part of our um, society now, like type 2 diabetes and cancers and cardiovascular disease, but also to help people who feel well, kind of well enough, but not quite 100%, you know? So it was that optimum nutrition thing that just, that clicked with me and that's what I wanted to do. That's amazing. I don't think I ever met a person who would know from such a young mm. age where their career was going to go when they grew up. Well, I didn't think it was going to be a career. I just loved it. I just loved, I was just so, it was just a spark in me and it was just something that I just kind of felt like, I wasn't thinking, I suppose, what I was going to do when I grew up. I was just thinking, I want, I love food. I love the effects of food. And I also remember doing this thing like you know I would have cooked a lot with my with my mom and my family and I remember you know being in the kitchen on my own and cooking away and just like talking myself through recipes <laughs> and thinking one day I want to be on the radio I want to do this on the radio <laughs> oh my god this is so cool when I was that age I, the only passions I had was chocolate and books <laughs> well I had that too <laughs> Talking of which, nutrition is incredibly broad topic. Yeah. What does nutrition mean to you? That's quite a hard question because I was thinking about this before today and I was thinking, 
what nutrition means to me as a person is something different than what nutrition means to me as a nutritionist. So I'm going to answer it as a nutritionist because I work with so many different types of people. What does nutrition mean? I think it has so much potential, potential to help support our well-being and make us feel good, not just physically, but also mentally and also emotionally as well. But there's so much guilt around food and so much negativity around nutrition and so many rules and so much, I think, kind of overwhelm with it, that people are a bit lost with it. So I like to keep things really simple and especially when I'm working with any workshops. If I'm, if I'm going into a workplace, for example, I want to keep things really easy for people because we're all busy. So it has to be small, simple changes that people can make that will make them feel a little bit better. Um, I think that's what nutrition means to me. The power of food just to help support your well-being and make you feel a little bit better than you do. A little bit better tomorrow than you do today. I like that. I like that <laughs> a lot. Because I think people do not realise how much power there is in food. Mm, I would agree with you. And I think also sometimes we, we don't connect with our food at all. We don't really think about, you know, especially in terms of, because a lot of people that I meet have been on lots of diets and are a little bit scared of things like fat. So when I'm talking to people about eat more fat because it's so important for things like hormone balance and skin and cardiovascular health and all the other things that fat does for us, it's kind of unwrapping the layers of an onion because this these people these these people that I'm talking to who maybe have been dieting for decades are terrified by this one nutrient that actually has the potential to really help support their well-being but it's the one nutrient that a lot of us are really scared of oh we could talk about <laughs> fat for hours I was one of those people but I wasn't scared of it for you know because I thought it was bad it just it was just the way I was eating for years and mm -hmm. I didn't realise and it wasn't actually until I went to a personal trainer years ago and then she was the first person who got me to do diary, yeah, my food diary and then she was like, right, you know what your problem is and why you're feeling constantly tired? You're eating 80% of your daily calorie intake or carbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And only less than 10% is fat. That's your problem. And then I tried to lower the carb intake and um, up the fat intake. And I found it incredibly hard. Yes. And now some... It's been probably seven, eight years later. Mm -hmm. I'm finding it... I would find it hard to do it the other way around. Because now I turned it all completely upside down. And 70 to 80% of my calorie intake is fat. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much difference it made to my life. That's good, because you find the diet that suits you. Exactly. And it wouldn't, I, I know it wouldn't, somebody else would do really well on a yeah. 100% carb diet. There's no, you know, there's no doubt about that. But my metabolism simply did not yes, find didn't it suit. helpful. It didn't, it didn't suit, you. suit me. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, I, it, it blew my mind, because I wouldn't have believed if you told me like 10, 8 years ago that this is the way I should be eating to feel at my best, I would laugh at you. Yes. Because it's so... it's And also I think that a lot of 
a lot of the ideas around diet and nutrition are things that we learn from media or things that are you know and a lot of the media stuff that is out there is sponsored by somebody or is a headline that is one of those shock headlines you know that is kind of um designed to scare us into avoiding something or eating something and i think that there's just too much too much, much misinformation about diet and health and nutrition out there and it's totally confusing for people and also I feel that that puts a lot of people off wanting to make change as well and when 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 we connect to the food that's on our plate so wh- whether that food is in your breakfast bowl your lunch box your dinner plate when we really think about how is that food going to make me feel the food that is high in carbohydrate low in fat the food that is used to be thought of as a healthy diet is probably not going to make us feel great because it's going to kind of give us energy yeah through the the carbohydrate but then we'll have a bit of a crash soon afterwards so it's about getting something that's really going to nourish you well and just make you feel as you say make you feel your best yeah definitely and then obviously it's the the challenge is once you find what works for you in terms of macros mm-hmm you, I guess the challenge for most people is to make it work in terms of taste. Yes, <laughs> and that's so important, yes. isn't it? Because you don't want <laughs> to be eating. That, that I struggled with that for years. And um, whenever I had to, all those years ago, I had to cut out suddenly dairy and gluten and sugar, and suddenly I was left with you know very little option. To me, back then, very little option because I didn't know what other foods there were that I could actually Mm -hmm. eat. And I had no idea what to do with those foods. So for two years, I literally lived on steamed rice, steamed broccoli, carrots and white fish. Yes. And at the end of the two years, I was ready to just give up eating because I absolutely hated every single lunch or dinner. I couldn't even smell fish, rice or vegetables anymore. It was just... Too much. Appalling. Yeah. I just couldn't even look at it. Um, so that is a massive challenge for people to actually, okay, now I know what I need to eat macro-wise. I need to know what nutrients I need to get into my body, but how the heck am I going to make it work so my taste buds are happy? Yeah, and I think that's got to be number one, doesn't it? Because it, there's also, there's really good research, which is, I love this, really good research to say that if we enjoy the food that we eat, we absorb so much more nutrition from it, which totally makes sense. Because if we're eating something and we're thinking, I hate this, every mouthful, I hate this, it's boring, it's bland, it's awful, then we're in our sympathetic nervous mode. We're in our fight or flight. We're not in our rest and digest. (laughs) So I think enjoyment of food, no matter whether you are eating a big dirty burger or whether you are eating your lovely fish and your your roasted vegetables or whatever it is it's about the enjoyment of food and I think that kind of brings us back to that whole idea about connect to the food that you're eating you know and if it is a KFC that you have to have every once in a while well if it's once in a while you know is it and you're enjoying it I'm not saying that KFC is good by the way <laughs> but you know which is the first thing in my head <laughs> Yeah, and I think cooking, like food preparation is a massive part of that, isn't it? Yes. Because we went away from the ways our the generations before us used to prepare food. They prepared everything from scratch and now we have supermarkets and convenience foods and stuff that you buy wrapped in plastic and you just pop it into the microwave and in two minutes you have dinner. Yeah. I wouldn't call it dinner, by the way. Yes. It's not food to me. It's just 
something wrapped in plastic. But this is how a lot of people live mm-hmm. because it's convenient. And that's the disconnect to me from yeah. food as well. It's not, it's very different from going into your garden and pulling a carrot out of the ground and preparing salad. Yes. You know, the way I used to do as a child. And then I, for many, many years, I completely forgot mm-hmm. that that was the way to eat. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that because not everybody has the means to yes. grow their own food. But we need to make real food from scratch. We need to connect to the food by washing it and chopping it and handling it and preparing it ourselves. Yeah. Knowing what kind of work goes into preparing dinner. Yes, I think so. And also it's kind of that whole, it's almost like a, a like a ritual of dinner, isn't it? It's a, the ritual of you, whether you grow your own food or whether you're just taking it out of the bottom of the fridge, you know, or out of your, your veg box or whatever it is, that you are enjoying the creative process. Because I think also um, that it's kind of almost like there's been a generation where we haven't, kids haven't seen food cooked at home. Not all kids, I'm not absolutely not saying that, but a lot of children don't see homemade dinners being made at home and therefore they are reaching 16, 17, 18, they're leaving home and I know I talk to loads of parents who say, my teenager has no idea how to make a meal. That I think that's heartbreaking because I think that, you know, if we as human beings know, even if we only know how to make a handful of meals if we've got five recipes that we can make without even thinking about it and it can be so simple it could be your roasted veg and your protein of choice it could be your stir fries it could be an omelette it could be a really good stew and it could be a soup five simple recipes and then they can form the foundation of so much more and I think at that age you know when you're first leaving home it's scary enough without not being able to know how to make yourself a meal you know, and how to, it's part of looking after yourself as well, I think, and um, and kind of getting back to, as well as cooking, sitting at a table is the other thing. So not having your dinner off your, your lap in front of the TV where you're not connecting, it's that disconnect again, sitting at a table and enjoying your meal and just taking a little bit of time. It doesn't have to take a lot of time, but a little time just to kind of get back in that whole... Um, ritual of cooking enjoying and eating your food digesting your food yeah that is so true that is so true and i i for a number of years i did catch myself um not doing that eating you know watching tv or working on Mm -hmm. a computer or not having a conversation with anyone like sometimes I, i i like my partner when we sometimes we the way we work we sometimes don't eat at the same time and he would take his dinner to the living room and watch TV. And it makes me cringe. <laughs> now it makes me cringe. But we do our best to, when we can, eat together and eat at a table and have a chat. Mm-hmm. Put our phones away and, yeah. and have a discussion about whatever. Just and, and focus on us and yes. the food. And it, it makes such a difference. It's like a little pause in the day, yeah. isn't it, if you can do that? Um, and I think the other thing actually about, about all of that is that I think there's nothing nicer in life than just sitting down with your friends and family over food. And I think food is something that brings people together. And, and sometimes, you know, well, I guess it's partly because of how I was brought up, but food is a real comforter. And whether you're having a real crappy day or a really great day, just sitting down with people. And also 
if you're on your own, one of the things I lived on my own for a long time, and one of the things that we used to do as friends, there was a little group of about six of us, and on a Monday, because we all kind of made, you know, like one meal or one person meal, so we we probably all lived on things like omelets and stir fries quite a lot. <laughs> but on a Monday, we would always get, get together, whoever was around, and one of us would cook for the the rest of us, and it was just really lovely because not only was it you were eating things that you wouldn't bother making for one person, but it was really just lovely to eat with friends. You know, eat good food with friends. And um, we still do it all these years later, whatever it is, 15 years later. Not as often because there's kids and there's, you know, jobs and lots of things in the way. But um, it's just, it's a great thing. It's one of the best things in life, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it's also lovely from the kind of point of view that you get to taste different yes, things that, that you was wouldn't it. necessarily think of making yourself. That was it. And we got a bit competitive as well. <laughs> nutrition mastership <laughs> it was fun <laughs> sounds like it um all these eating healthy and and eating well and eating real food um i get a sense that we only really pay attention to good food and healthy food when we are forced to when we get sick um because because i don't think anybody well certainly it was my my, my case and most of the people I know don't really think about what they're eating, whether it's good or bad, until they get unwell and then they have to really think about what they're putting into their bodies. And I think that's the case for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so once that happens and you're suddenly left with no choice but to make a big change in the way you're eating, otherwise you're simply not going to get better... Um, it can be really difficult for people to do that. And I think a big change like that is very difficult for anybody, uh, but maybe especially for um, people of certain age when they've been for 40, 50 years, they've been used to eating a certain way and suddenly mm-hmm. they are forced to make changes they might not necessarily like. And you with your workshops and your webinars you're actually making these changes seem quite easy and enjoyable and do you have any tips for people on how to address this because i know and i've seen it multiple times in uh, among my family and friends when they're trying to make a change they never stick to it because mm-hmm. it's too big of a change and it's too challenging and it's not enjoyable and they don't know how to go about it and I guess that's often the case that people do it for a while and then it's like fad diets. You do yeah. it for a few weeks and then you forget about it and go back to where you, you were eating before and obviously that's not going to work long term. So what do you think is the secret and do you have any tips for people how to make changes that will actually last? Yes, lots of tips. Oh, great. <laughs> so I think from my point of view, I always find that instead of going for the great big diet overhaul. So I, one, of the, one of the things I always say to people is that after my workshops, I don't want anybody to go home and clear their cupboards out. You know, it's not about, it's not, ne- I understand that, yes, for some people, if they've been hit by an illness or whatever it might be, that they do have to make changes. But the best way of going about it is, first of all, as you've already mentioned, actually, keep a food diary. Recognise what you're already doing. And what you're already... Normally when we keep a food diary, this is human nature, we look at our own food diaries going, oh, that's not good enough. I'm doing that wrong. That's really bad. 
that if somebody else looks at your food diary, they will go, oh, that's great, you're eating lots of fruit and vegetables, you're getting your oily fish in, you're having seeds every day, whatever it is, there's always good things in your diet. Sometimes we can't see the good things. So, you know, it can be useful to work along with a nutritional therapist or even do it with a friend, make, make changes with a friend and compare food diaries with each other, buddy up with somebody that's gonna give you support but make small changes. So I would always encourage people to make one small change every week. So say for example, I'm never starting a Monday because Mondays are hard, aren't they? <laughs> we don't wanna make big changes on a Monday. So start maybe on a Wednesday, Thursday, midweek and think about once you've done your food diary for a couple of weeks or even just three days, look at it and think, what one thing could I change that would be easy to do and just make me feel good and make it a positive change. So don't don't put in there, I'm not going to eat chocolate or I am going to stop um, fizzy drinks. Think about swapping something over. So instead of I'm not going to eat chocolate, why not put in there as to kind of improve the quality of your chocolate that you're going to eat organic 70% and then move up to 85 and then move up to 90 and then if you can handle it, move up to 100%. Oh yes, please. <laughs> It's the best, isn't oh it? It's so I good. Can't live without it. it is so good. But your taste buds adapt. So I think to make really major changes, if you're coming from a place where your diet perhaps is not as rich in nutrients and especially in your minerals, your taste buds, once you change to a super duper healthy diet, whatever that version of a super duper healthy diet is, your taste buds will rebel and you'll be going, I don't like this. This I'm just eating this because this is rabbit food. It's not good. It's not, you know. And if we make the small changes gradually and gradually improve our nutritional status, then, and I this still amazes me after all these years, but people's taste buds change. And, you know, somebody will be sitting in my clinic room and they'll be going, in the first meeting and I'll be talking about maybe something like hummus and I'm like, I can't eat hummus no oh no and then a month down the line they'll come back and go I love hummus <laughs> I love that you know and it's just that is when you know that somebody somebody first of all that somebody they get it they have tried and they've made their changes and they have they've kind of been on their own journey of discovery about food as well I think so I would not encourage anybody to make big changes it's the little things because those little things are the things that are going to become your new habits and then next Wednesday make another little change <laughs> yeah it's 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 definitely the way to go and I what I did was exactly what you're telling people not to do I got home from um, a doctor's appointment and I cleared my cupboards. Did you? I, and then I sat on the floor crying because I didn't know. There was nothing the, left. There was nothing. I was yeah. like, what am I going to do? <laughs> you see, that's really scary, yeah. isn't it? Because then you're sort of feeling, it is that feeling of overwhelm and it's that, that feeling of, exactly, what yeah. am I going to eat? What is left? It's like sometimes when people go for perhaps something like a, a food intolerance test, for example, and it tells you what you are meant to cut out. But it doesn't, often, you're not told what to replace that food with. And that is so important. Um, and I think as any any practitioner, if there's any any nutritional practitioners or anything like that listening to this podcast, please get, always give the client alternatives. Because to leave a clinic room and for somebody to say, don't eat A, B, C, D, E. And then you come out feeling like, and when you're in the clinic room, you will go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And then... 
10 minutes later you're out in the real world or you're in your kitchen and you're going right what does that actually mean what does that mean to me what are the alternatives what can I eat then if I can't eat that what can I eat and that is really important and also I think you know in terms of making changes find recipes and try the recipes out in you know alongside what you're already eating so don't try all these brand new recipes um, and then that's going to be your new diet just keep eating the way you are get a handful again it could be start off with one recipe that will suit this new way of eating that you want to change to and just build from that and it can be a new recipe every month it could be a new recipe every week you know and by the end of the the year you would have a whole a whole new way of eating and just doing it little by little yeah and i I, what, what i find actually and i only found that years after i made all these changes and i wish i had known about it before what i found incredibly easy and helpful with sort of any kind of cooking is hot pots yes like slow cooker is one of the best thing i ever discovered because you can throw anything in it anything goes yeah like i love making soups with leftover vegetables just throw it in put some water some homemade stock leave it overnight yes in the morning soup done and it always tastes good it does herbs some spices and it always turns out well yeah my do you know what my mum calls that friday soup (laughs) (laughs) because it's that kind of what vegetables are left on a friday put them in a pot with some stock and yeah and some herbs and you have and it's like that it's also that magic alchemy of cooking isn't yeah. it you start off with things that you know and then you cook them up with something else some little added bit of spice or a little added bit of herb and it just transforms into something gorgeous yeah and then there's always so many recipes out there suitable for slow cookers like yeah. curries and hot pots and mediterranean mediterranean yes. dishes and to jeans and all sorts of stuff that you can experiment with and they're always so easy to adapt yes. to whatever diet you're That's on because right. you can leave things out put some different things in you can hide things in very <laughs> easily like i this is a story i tell everybody because i find it incredibly funny but um my partner allegedly hated turnip the amount of time he actually ate turnip in a curry that I made and then one day I was just like oh really you really don't like turnip what do you think you've just eaten (laughs) and then it was just like I'm putting turnip in the curry and it would be yeah okay yeah (laughs) do you know like you can hide things very very yes you can and things do the taste of things definitely do change because I'm with them I don't really like turnip either (laughs) (laughs) what's wrong with you kind of event in life that I believe everybody at some stage encounters mm-hmm. everybody at some point has to make a change for whatever reason and in whatever stage in their life that's just seems to be the nature of things because yeah. I haven't met one person who didn't have to do that yes um, and I think also sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be health reasons it can be a change of circumstance so you know it could be maybe that um you well it could be even just something it could be a happy change of circumstance that you go from being single to meeting somebody and moving in together then you've got to change your diet even if it's only a little bit or it could be the other extreme of that or or the other version of that where you lose a partner and you end up being on your own and, and maybe cooking for one after and it could be after decades of um being with someone and maybe 
that someone was the one who always cooked. And it's then, right, well, what do I do now? And I would work with a lot of people, you know, who are find themselves in that situation where they've never had to cook for themselves before and they're going into the supermarket and they're a wee bit lost about what to buy, what to cook, how do you make a soup, how do you make a stew, how do you make a roast dinner? And it's kind of... So there's lots of things. There's so much in life, isn't there? Life is about change, really, and we just kind of have to go with the ebb and flow as much as we can and adapt to it, and food is a huge part of that. And it's, do you know, it's not even about cooking the food anymore. Nowadays, it's also about food shopping because you'd also need a guide to... yeah supermarket food the way it's labeled and and what to look out for yes and, and what list of ingredients to you know how, how to check ingredients and and which ingredients are good which ingredients are bad and and wrapping is is canned food good is canned food bad which packaging is you know okay um, to eat from and which packaging I shouldn't really buy that and eat from that and it's there's so much information yeah. and, and contradictive information out there that sometimes it's just a jungle of you know gibberish and people get lost in that it is I like that jungle of gibberish it <laughs> is isn't it and do you know the worst what I think is the worst aisle of all is the cereal aisle because oh, I never go there. No, <laughs> good. But you know, it's it's messages like if you're reading food labels, it's messages like low sugar is the only thing that actually means low sugar. And then they have messages like reduced sugar, less sugar, no added sugar, thirty percent, twenty percent less. And it's this is totally confusing. And a lot of those words that are used in packaging are just marketing fluff to try and make us get buy those foods. And it's kind of getting back to eating real food as much as possible and that's and we're surrounded by all these bright colors bright lights bright colors aren't we and we just kind of it's it's going back to that idea again about connecting to actually is that food gonna make me feel good or crap (laughs) and um and trying to make the the best the best choice given the circumstance i think as well We'd, we'd also need somebody needs to do you want to write a guide to shopping by any chance for people I think that would be it really, would be good could be really helpful yeah it would be a good idea <laughs> or nearly um, well that's the other thing as well it's sometimes what I get people to do is if they are if I'm running for example some of my webinars or group works and things like group classes and things what I'll get is people to buddy up and talk to each other about well what recipes do you you know, what do you like? What do you what do you like to cook? Or what have you bought this week that looks pretty good? And, you know, talk to each other about the food that you're buying and the food that you're cooking. Um, and about why as well. Why you're making the choice and why you like it and why you think it's good and why you think it would be good for your friend as well. Because we can learn so much from each other. And we all, I think, most people have got a really good understanding of diet and nutrition. Um, sometimes it needs a little, just a wee bit of a kind of are we nudge in a slightly different direction, you know, especially around the, the low fat thing. But most people have got a good understanding of what healthy, nourishing, good quality food is. And it doesn't have to be expensive and most certainly should never be brown, bland or boring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think the rule of the thumb, um, buying as much food that does not come wrapped in, yeah. in packaging. Big time. And for the health of environment as well as our health as well. That's actually another thing that 
I'd like to talk about mm. the environment we, we are quite pressured um, in, in the past couple of years into um, taking care of our environment, which is a good thing. We should have always been doing yes. that. But now it kind of turns out that when it comes to food, we haven't really been that environmentally friendly and packaging obviously is one of the things but it's not just packaging it's also the way we eat and what we eat and there again there's so much information out there and a lot of it is contradictory and confusing what do you think is a good kind of approach to eating and be still environmentally friendly at the same time okay i think this is a really big question and a really important question and i think that a lot of it it will be a lot of it comes down to thinking about how your food is produced where does your food come from so one of the things i've got a bit of an issue with is things like for me, a plant-based diet means something very different than a plant-based diet means in the media, for example. So as a nutritionist, papers have been talking about plant-based diets for decades. But that, what that means is that we should eat more vegetables, more pulses, more, more, you know, more things that come from plants. And I think in terms of, it's it's great that the movement towards more plant-based eating is encouraging people to eat more vegetables. I am absolutely 100% all for that. What I am not 100% for is going vegan. For Not for everyone. I think some people will thrive on a vegan diet, but I think some people will not thrive at all on a vegan diet. And I think that one of the big things, especially here in Northern Ireland, is that people really like meat and but the meat that people are buying is awful, generally speaking. it's We're looking for cheap food. We're looking for cheap meat. And if we're buying cheap meat, that has to have a consequence. So I'm not saying that we should spend, you know, half our wage on, on our food. But at the same time, I think we need to value our food. I think if we are buying meat, um, we need to go back to source, not through the supermarket. We need to find a really good source of ideally organically produced um, free range very high welfare meat and have that in moderation that is one issue I think also thinking about in terms of our um, our vegetables and our, our fruit that we're eating try and go a little bit organic even if you can't you know if your if your budget for food is very limited then Talk to local producers because actually organic food is not much more expensive and it's not necessarily that it's higher in nutrition but it can help to reduce our pesticide load. So it helps to reduce the, the load that's on our body, that's on our liver, for example, that we have to detoxify. Um, and the quality of the soil that our food is grown in has such a huge impact on the quality of the nutrition in our food and the quality of our health and well-being. There's been a lot of talk recently actually about the quality of soil globally because of the use of pesticides mm-hmm. we are losing soil that is fertile yeah. that can produce crops that can produce vegetables um, soil that plants can strive in 
And that's where I think being organic is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And I think also the other thing about soil is that we know that there has been a huge reduction in mineral levels in soil, and it's because of the way that we've farmed. Um, I think there's a real movement now back to more more balanced ways of producing food. And, you know, there's some real pioneers here locally um, who have been in this business for decades and there's also some new producers and there's some really innovative interesting new thinking around food production and and also how to um, encourage more people to grow their own you know there's so many more small allotments and community gardens gardens opening up and I think that is just fantastic because generally speaking not always but generally the if you grow your own food, you, you don't want to use the sprays. And you can see that that soil without all the pesticides and the fertilisers, that's going to produce your good quality food. You don't need all that, the chemicals and things there as well. And also, I think, remembering that we are part of the environment. We're not separate from it. We are part of the ecosystem. And we need to respect our position in the ecosystem and also other species in that ecosystem as well and I think for a long time we've kind of lost our way a little bit I think we're coming back hopefully we're there's kind of a real movement back towards that but um yeah we are of the earth aren't we yeah and I would really like if if um uh, food businesses um were more aware of that yes there's actually one thing I would really really love to see if any food businesses are listening if anybody has money to invest Please, can we have a few shops around Northern Ireland that are completely packaging free? Mm. I would love that. I would love to walk into a shop with my glass jars and fill them up with seeds. And there are a and... few. There's a few places like that. Oh, now. really? Yeah, yeah. There's um, a place in, definitely a place in St. Field. And there's also a place now in Belfast called Refill Quarter. And they are doing that, so... There's Amazing. a few, there's a few, there is a movement that way, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I am feeling very ashamed right now. But that's what my guests are for, to educate me. Um, I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah. That amazing. That's like one big thing. Yeah, when you, when you kind of look at what's in your bins, like there's very little. We try and reduce as much packaging and, you know, kind of do our bit. But in our bin, it's all plastic. There's nothing else in there, really. So if we're trying to be a bit more kind of eco-minded and reduce our plastic, and that is only a drop, literally a drop in the ocean of what is what else is out there. But see, this is why I absolutely love shopping in um, at the farmers markets. Yeah. Because you don't have that packaging, yes. you just pick whatever you need, bring your own bag. I absolutely love what Helen's Bay Organics are now doing that they use compostable bags. Yes, that's right. If you need a bag, you can put stuff in the little compost and then you can reuse them either next week or you can put them in your compost and fill them with your compost. It's an incredible idea. And I I love that. if, If people have the option and if in their area is farmer's market at least once a week, Try and shop at the farmer's market. A, you're supporting local business. You're mm-hmm. more likely buying foods that is produced locally, so you're yeah. reducing your carbon footprint, plus there's no packaging. Yes, and the other thing, as well as farmer's market, I know that in more rural areas, there's a lot of farm shops. So I'm from Eglinton, kind of northwest, and um, we're really lucky that 
one of our neighbours has got a great farm shop there and she only opens it in the growing season, you know, so you'll get lovely, you know, those bunches of carrots that are the dirty carrots without fronds still on them and, and, and you'll get lovely, gorgeous, fresh veg that is straight from, straight from the farm and it tastes like that. Um, where if we're, because we're so used to buying our food from the supermarket, it doesn't taste, no. it doesn't taste of anything. Because it's, it's been cleaned and it's been sitting in the plastic packaging for weeks yeah really and it's often imported you know like supermarkets don't really sell local produce no they don't do you know the thing that that really gets me about that think about arma apples it used to be a real you know a real hub and if you drive through or the kind of the the orchards in arma it's absolutely beautiful and then you go into the supermarkets and it's all apples from new zealand or france or why is there no Arma apples or local apples? They're much harder to get. And that is an issue with a lot of food, not just apples. Here in Northern Ireland and all over the UK and in many other countries around the world. You know, globalization is a wonderful thing, but not when it impacts our environment. So let's try and address this issue and buy local as much as we can. Surely that apple or a carrot grown locally and in season has a lot more nutritional value and tastes way better because it's fresh than that imported pineapple or whatever else that's been sitting in a crate on a truck and then on a supermarket shelf for weeks. But I will not pretend that I've always been so conscious about eating local and seasonal. That would be pretty hypocritical of me. This is something I've been learning about a lot in the past couple of years and I'm trying to address it in my own kitchen as much as I can. And you know what? It's actually not as difficult as you may think. And Jane is one of those people who can really help to make it even easier. So if you'd like to connect with her, you can visit her website vital-nutrition.co.uk or you can connect with her on LinkedIn and find her through the usual social media at Vital Nutrition. And be sure to catch the second part of our chat next week for more health tips and some recipe suggestions. And if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment through our social media or even better, rate us on iTunes. I can't stress enough how important the ratings and reviews are. And I will be very grateful to you if you do spend the time and type a little honest review as well. Every episode we share a plant-based recipe. So today um, I'd like to keep with the theme of local and seasonal and share a simple recipe for cabbage leaf rolls. Now this one is best made with a sweetheart cabbage because the leaves are softer and easier to roll. But you can make it with any cabbage you like. Simply peel off the top biggest outer leaves, usually the first five or six are good. Wash and steam them until they're soft enough to roll but not too soggy. Usually about five to six minutes in a steamer. If you have red cabbage or any other cabbage with leaves that are a little bit harder, you can cover them in salt or rub some salt in until the leaves soften a little and then steam them for a few minutes. Then take out your favorite pesto or tapenade, scoop a couple of tablespoons on the leaves and roll them in. Done. 
It's a great side to any veggie or a non-veggie dish and works really well as a starter too. I always sprinkle some freshly chopped herbs in it and drizzle some good quality oil on the top of the rolls. And if you want a good suggestion for pesto that goes really well with those, I can highly recommend sage and walnut combination or sun-dried tomato and walnut. These go amazingly well with cabbage. Well, according to my taste buds, at least. Um, funny enough, if you go back to episode 22, our lovely blogger guest Evelina of Mother Nature Loves You shared stuffed cabbage leaves recipe. And that is also really delicious and one I can highly recommend. Cabbage rocks, folks. And even if you dislike cabbage, I really think you should try that one. And if you want some more pasta suggestions, you can find a few pasta recipes in the Sweet Spot cookbook, which is available in paperback via Amazon or personal request, or you can get it in digital form on iBooks. Remember, you can also find all the recipes shared on this podcast to date on our social media, either via Instagram or in the file section of our public group page on Facebook, The Sweet Spot on a Farm, where you can download all the recipes in a PDF format. Have a great week. Try to buy local and seasonal as much as possible and make it perhaps that one simple change on your way to better health. And more importantly, Whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.